entitled honor. Honor every culture, every generation, every gift. And we have been diving and understanding the image of God. Why should we honor each other? Because we've been made in the image of God, and that matters. We said several things about being made in the image of God. Number one, as being made in the image of God, God has given you the ability to reason. He's made you intelligent. You have morality, the knowledge between good and bad. And we said every culture, no matter how depraved the culture, there's a level of understanding of that which is good and that which is bad, right? Throughout the world, as you look at tribes and different things, there's a level of understanding. We said that God's given us the ability not only for morality, but also to attain knowledge, to gain skill, right? All of us are created that way. And more importantly, that spiritually, through what Christ has done in awakening our spirits, we have been given the ability to connect with him spiritually. We also said that because God has given us a mind, and he's told us that we're supposed to love him with all our minds, that we're supposed to grow this mind. Say, Lord, grow this mind. And we can do that because we have the wisdom that God's given us. None of us who are believers in Jesus are foolish. No one who has put their faith in Jesus is foolish. Because putting your faith in Jesus means that you have the greatest wisdom the world could offer. It begins there, right? Then we said that we've been made in the image of God because God has given us dominion and authority. We have the ability to choose. We have authority in our words. We have the authority to a certain level to chart the course of our lives. For sure, God's given us dominion and authority over this earth, right? God has given us this, and we're responsible and accountable for our earth, right? So uh, we, we talked about authority, and today we're going to talk about the last thing. This was all supposed to be a part of one message. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about being made in the image of God from the gauge of relationships. God created you for relationship. God created you for intimacy. God created you for communion. If we look at the word communion in the old, in the old dictionary, the old Noah Webster dictionary, it basically means fellowship between two persons or more, interchange or transaction, a state of giving and receiving, agreement, concord, Fellowship, companionship, society, mutual association of persons on equal and friendly terms, and familiar interaction. Basically, for you and I, God created us to do life together with him and with others. We are all supposed to live with unity, in unity, with God and with each other. And there's, I just want to say this, there's a difference between being a single person and a person who is alone. Singlehood matters in the kingdom of God. And I just want to talk to the single group, the single people in the church. Your position in life right now matters. You're not just here in this position until you get married. Some people are called to be single for the rest of their lives. And that is a valid, powerful call. I actually wrote a paper called about dealing with this in the life of Christ, how hypocritical the church is, because the most impactful people in the kingdom of God have been single people, right? But the church doesn't know what to do many a times with single people. Well, God has a purpose for your life if you're single. And being single doesn't mean that you're called to be alone, because you're supposed to live united with God, and you can have real intimacy with others, right? Real relationship intimacy without crossing the boundaries of God's law. As a matter of fact, 
there needs to be some single people who are committed to God today. There has to be people who are sold out for Jesus who are single because the Bible tells us very clearly that single people can do more than married folk. Why? Because married folk have to be concerned to a greater level with the things of this world. There's a very encouraging scripture for us married folk. If you marry, you will have trouble. It's true, right? Now, for some of us, because we're called to marriage, and marriage is a godly institution by God, it's a blessing, and we can't exist outside of marriage. But some of us don't have that limitation or that calling. And so I just want to speak to you and say, appreciate where you're at in life, and don't rush into somewhere God didn't call you to be. Amen? Is that okay? That's not even the message. That's just an infomercial or something. (laughs) I don't know what it was. (laughs) But God's created us all for intimacy. God's created us all for communion. God's created us all to be a part of him and him to be a part of our life, a deep part of our lives. Listen, let's make, this is all about the kingdom of God. And these chicken scratches that I'm writing may mean nothing to you, but I'm going to feel better after I doodle. If if we make this timeline the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is eternity past, never, you know, always existed, and the kingdom of God will always be. When God created us, he said, we're going to make humanity, and we're going to make them in our image. As Christians, we believe that to be God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in community, saying, we want to make humanity in our image, men and women. We want to make them in our image. We're going to give them authority, right? We're going to give them ability to reason, and we're going to give them an ability to connect emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, and we're going to be in communion with them. So when God created humanity, he created them to be a part of this wonderful kingdom experience where there's, there's this unbroken unity and communion without shame, without guilt, without sin, without darkness, Can you imagine that reality? Sin entered into the world. God created humanity and sin entered into the world. And we're just going to say, by our choices, we took our authority, we took our dominion, and sin entered into the world. When sin entered into the world, God didn't say, I'm done with you, I'm starting somewhere else. He started what we know as Missio Dei, which is the mission of God. At this point, God began a mission, right? And what was that mission? What is the mission of the kingdom of God? To restore you and I to right relationship with him. When Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand, what is he saying? The time has come for unity to be restored between man and God in the way that it was experienced before the fall. That's God's intention, restored intimacy with him. The mission begun And boom, the cross of Jesus. Praise the Lord for the cross. Anybody thankful for the cross of Jesus Christ? He died on the cross. He rose from the grave. And now you and I are called back into this relationship. Now the kingdom of God is in us. Jesus is the kingdom of God is in you. It's not just something that you're looking forward to in the future. It's in you right now. As you do relationship with God, as you do relationship with others, it's in you right now. And then God calls us to bring people into this intimate relationship with him, right? 
Isn't that wonderful? So right now, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, you've given your life to him and surrendered to the Holy Spirit, that communion that you have with God is supposed to be one without shame because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That communion is supposed to be unbroken. The Bible says little children do not sin, but if you do sin, you have an advocate who's praying for you. Anybody thankful that Jesus is praying for us? You know, if Jesus is praying for you, you got everything you need, right? Right, so, so he's praying for you. So why is that? There's this unbroken communion. God has restored his kingdom in you. And so he wants you to live with the reality that he's with you all of the days of your life. And attentive to him with your ears ready to listen, with your feet ready to go, and ready to be still and just enjoy his presence. That's good news. You are made in the image of God because God has created you to be deeply connected to him. And where's the proof of that? If you go to John chapter 17, when Jesus was almost at the end of his ministry here on earth, what was the last prayer the Lord prayed for you, Raquel? This is what he prayed. He said, Lord, that Raquel and I would be one just as you and I are one. That Tony and I will be one just as you and I are one. God created you to be one with the Holy Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And then he made you. Why? And then he loves you. Because he loves you. And then he says, I'm bringing you into communion, unbroken communion into me. Don't you think that if he paid that price, don't you think that if he went through all of that, that he really, really loves you? Doesn't that convince you of his love? You've been created for intimacy with God. However, well, let me say this, not only intimacy with God, but intimacy with others. Intimacy with others. And we get to know God deeply by knowing others because others know something about God we don't. And it makes our understanding of him, others who are walking with him, others who have received Jesus as Lord and Savior, and it makes our understanding of God much fuller than it is when we live by ourselves. So God has created us to have deep connections with him and with others. To have a deep connection, to, to have intimacy with others means to know someone well and to be known well by that person, to enjoy that person's company, to feel heard and valued in that relationship, to allow nothing to hinder the fellowship between each other. I believe that as a culture, we have made a deadly trade. We have made a deadly trade. Instead of being deeply connected with a few meaningful relationships, we have chosen to have shallow connections with a thousand superficial relationships. I believe in today's day in our social media world that there's a deadly trade we could be making. That instead of having a few very meaningful, enriching relationships, we have thousands of shallow, superficial relationships that never satisfy and I want to say this disclaimer. There's a place for social media. It could be used by God. But if we take social media and think that social media can meet the need of the intimacy that God intends for us as the kingdom of God to experience with each other, we're dropping the ball. 
If we think that Facebook is the place where we're supposed to get into deep teaching with the body of Christ, we're dropping the ball. If we think that there is a good place to have the conversations we should have with our brothers and sisters in the secret place, we're dropping the ball. Facebook gives us a platform to connect with others. Nonetheless, how many times have we seen reports that say people are disappointed and depressed and they're coveting other things? Why? Because now they're seeing the best of others on Facebook. What do you expect people to post? Their Jerry Springer experience? (laughs) You know, it's like, you know, the best of others and they're saying, my life is miserable because I could never make a filet mignon like that. Twitter gives us a platform to connect with superstars and celebrities, but that connection doesn't mean that we are known or valuable to them. Instagram gives us a platform to share pics and vids, but it doesn't fill the void of intimacy or the need for purpose. Snapchat gives us the ability to alter who we are and how we look, gives us, the, uh, gives an illusion of others, and gives us an illusion that we can say whatever we want without consequences because our words erase in 10 seconds. Pornography sells us the lie that fulfillment without intimacy is possible, but it isn't. This is the exact opposite of what God intends for his community. This is false love. It's a counterfeit love. Social media, though it has its good, social media presents us with a counterfeit love that never satisfies the way fellowship with God and others can. You want you to, great platform. I want you to use it. Connect with others that way. But I'm telling you, There is a deeper connection that God wants you to have with brothers and sisters in Christ that can't be done in the social media world, and God wants you to engage there. And that is where I think the church should be hitting home runs left and right. I mean, I'm thinking, this is great. I mean, I'm not happy that the world is broken and disconnected and that relationships are so dysfunctional, but it's our place where we can meet that crisis and say, we know how to do relationships right. Right? I mean, we should be able to say to the world, come do life with us. It's much better than that post. It's much better than that. It's much better than superficial relationships. Right? The Bible clearly tells us, John 13, 34 on down, it says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another, and by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Isn't that good news? If you have love for one another, people will know that you belong to me. God wants the way that we do community to be so different that it draws attention to him and that people would be attracted to him. So I think in an age where people are disconnected, in an age where people are extremely connected, yet fellowship disconnected, the church is the answer to fulfillment, to to, to connection, to intimacy, to growth. I mean, at this point, like never before, I feel like people should say, man, look at the church. Look at the way they love each other. Unless we're not walking it out which we're not going to make that assumption. We're walking it out. Maybe there's a church in Idaho, I don't know, somewhere that's not walking it out. Just kidding. We have to make a commitment to walk this out, right? So how do we live out this fellowship and this intimacy with God and with others? What is a commitment that we as the rock 
what is the commitment that we have made here at The Rock in regards to walking this out? I, I said it last week, and I'm going to say it again. I have no intentions of leading a community of faith that is untransformed. And I have no intentions of leading a community of faith without being transformed. Who I am today is not the pastor that I want to be or the person or the son that I want to be a year from now. I want to engage in God's transformation process, and I want to engage with people who want to be engaged in that process too. Is there an amen in the house? Right? So what must we do in order to engage in this kind of fellowship that's life-changing and this kind of reality where the kingdom of God is actually alive in us and there's manifest reality that, hey, God is moving and doing things? What must we do? What commitments must we make? Well, praise God, the Bible tells us of a fellowship. The fellowship of the church found in Acts 2.42 on down. Let's read those verses together. This is what the church did. Jesus saved them. Jesus breathed his Holy Spirit on them. Jesus then baptizes them in the Holy Spirit. And this is after they received the Spirit and he experienced all that. This is what you find the church doing. And they devoted devoted. I know that's like a romantic word, but when something was devoted, it was, it was surrendered. When I'm devoted to something, in a certain sense, I give up my rights to whatever I'm devoting myself to. And they devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. Amen. People who are living out the kingdom, people who are walking in the fellowship that God actually intends us to walk in are able to say this. Number one, we commit to God's word and to prayer. We commit to God's word. and to, Let me just let you know, nothing I'm about to share with you is something you've never heard before. Is that okay? I'm okay with that. Nothing I'm sharing with you today is... Is anything you haven't heard before. For many of us, we've heard this, but people who commit to the fellowship and the kingdom of God and the work of the kingdom of God in them understand this. Number one, we commit to God, God's word, and to prayer. The flesh, the world, and the accuser have falsely redefined many things. We're living in an era where intimacy has been reduced to just a, a sexual encounter. We're living in an era where we've been given alternatives to live in the way of the kingdom. We're living in an era where uh, our identity as sons and daughters are continually attacked. Um, we're living in a time where uh, people are falsely redefining gender. We're living in a time where people are falsely redefining marriage. We're living at a time where people are separating due to race, culture, politics, and preference. Falsely, the world is falsely redefining life, and that's not new. It's been happening, right? This is what sin does. Sin runs contrary to the will of God. And since sin entered into the world, this is what's been happening. So how can we escape the corruption that exists in the world and the corruption that exists in us? 
how do we escape that corruption that is in the world and the corruption of this sinful nature? By submitting to the word of God and to prayer. Is that, there's, there's no fancy revelation. I don't got, you know, there's not an oil that's going to take care of that. There's not an altar call that's going to take care of all of that. Only submission to the word of God and prayer, a declaration that I depend on God, is the answer. For God has given us everything we need for life and godliness to escape the corruption of this world and take part in the divine nature. Right? And what he's given it to us through his word. So in order for me to live out this fellowship and walk according to the kingdom of God and the plan of God, i got to make a commitment. Lord, whether I like it or not like it, I am going to submit to your word. Whether it's to my benefit or it calls me to die on the cross, which is always to my benefit because you have good intentions for me, even if I suffer here on this life, in this life. Even in the midst of that, God, I will say yes to you. There is a, there is a verse in Psalm 119 that you and I need to make sure that we meditate on, that we think about it, and we really think deeply about what we're going to do with the rest of our life and with our declarations of faith. And that Psalm says this, God, you are good. And what you do is good. Therefore, teach me your commands. That's it. Do you live your life that way? Is the way that we handle our life, our time, our finances, our relationships a declaration? God, you're good. Everything you do is good. Therefore, teach me your ways. God, I'm going through hell here on earth. I don't like it. I don't like these feelings that I'm having. I don't like these temptations that I'm having. I don't like this darkness that I'm dealing with. But God, I know that you're good, and I know that everything that you do is good. Therefore, teach me your ways. There is a de- this is the declaration of those who say yes to the kingdom of God. Would you, would you say that with me? God, you are good. What you do is good. Teach me your commands. You are good. And what you do is good. Teach me your commands. You are good. And what you do is good. Teach me your commands. You are good. And what you do is good. Teach me your commands. There has to be a surrender. Sometimes people come up to me and they're like, Pastor, we just need counseling. And really they say a lot of things, but this is what they're saying in code. And what they say is, Pastor, here's the deal. I love my disobedience. And I try to justify, rationalize, and deny the fact that it's disobedience. But I haven't come up with a better excuse. So therefore, I'm coming to you to see if you can give me one. No. God, you're good. All you do is good. Teach me your commands. Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. We're going to be people of the kingdom of God who live in fellowship with God and in fellowship with others. We have to commit ourselves to the word of God. Second, we have to commit to growing in fellowship. It's so valuable to grow in fellowship. And I love the church. I love all the church. I love my Southern Baptist church, Lutheran church. I love Pentecostal church. I love the Assembly of God church. I love the home group-based church. 
I love the church. I just love, wherever <laughs> Jesus is, I love him. I love my, uh, there's a Henry Nowen, great man of God who went to be with the Lord, who was a priest in the Catholic church. Wherever Jesus is being glorified in fruit, we can see fruit. Praise God. Celebrate the church. The important thing is to ask ourselves, where has God called me to be? Where has God called me to, root, to grow, right? So I love the church, and God calls us to do life together with others. Hebrews 10, verse 23 on down says this, Let us hold unswervingly, in other words, without letting go, to the hope we profess. For he who promises faithful. And let us consider how we should encourage one another on towards love and good deeds and good works. In other words, my life as a pastor, my life as your friend, my life as a husband, as a son, I should live my life encouraging everyone to surround, who's surrounding me to love and encourage them to do good works. Not giving up meeting together. Don't give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Do you see the day approaching? Notice day is capital, day. The writer of Hebrews, along with the writer of Colossians, would say the same thing, will tell you that the Christian worldview is, is dominated by the reality that Jesus is coming back. And because Jesus is coming back, we live our lives awaiting with joy, with joy, the return of our God. We're excited about him coming back. And so we line up our lives, our finances, our relationships, everything we do, we do for the sake of his return. We can't wait to be with him. We pack light in this world, right? Because we're ready to go. Nobody wants to build a house in an airport. Nobody does that, right? We're moving on. And so as we see the day approaching, we're supposed to be encouraging each other to do what? To prepare, to get ready. Supposed to lift each other up, hold each other accountable, right? Make sure that we're guarding the joy of Jesus, of living for Jesus, of the kingdom of God, the righteousness, the peace, and the joy, and that our eyes are wide open to everything that's happening in the world, not so that we could be fearful or political, but rather so that we can say, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And I just want to pause here. Committing to the fellowship doesn't just mean getting together with other people who affirm that they're Christians. Having fellowship is not just about having pizza and watching a basketball game, playing pool. Let me tell you, all that stuff is really valuable. There are some of us who are too intense. Like every time you get together, you want to pray and fast until Jesus comes back. It's like, oh, wait a minute. Let's just relax. <laughs> It's okay to hang out. You know, we can play a game of euchre over steak. I'm just saying, right? So, you know, so, you know, it's, you know, God wants us to enjoy our lives, but there has to be an intentionality when we do life and relationships with others. Because I've been in many so-called fellowship circles where jokes that don't glorify Jesus are told, where things are said that don't, don't encourage us, where people are not being uplifted, or encouraged, and holiness is not promoted, where people are not growing in understanding the cross. See, we're not just called to grow together, uh, to be together, 
And being together doesn't make it a genuine kingdom-focused fellowship. We're going to be in fellowship. If we're going to have fellowship, then we have to be in fellowship with Christ and each other. Paul said it this way. I want to be in fellowship with his suffering. I want you to think about that. In Philippians, he said, my fellowship with Jesus is not just with the good part, it's with the bad part. My fellowship with Jesus is not an expectation of the resurrection that is to come, but right now in this life, in this world, I am in fellowship with the suffering of Jesus. I'm going through things. I'm understanding the cross. I'm experiencing certain things. And if someone is in fellowship, if I am in fellowship with the cross and with Jesus, my fellowship with the cross and with Jesus, what he's done with me is going to directly impact my fellowship with my wife, my fellowship with my brothers, my fellowship with the church. Why? Because I am deeply connected to the cross and to Jesus, and that deep connection is going to inform the way I talk and the way I carry myself with others. Are you with me today? All that to say, when you do get together with other believers, are you intentional to be encouraging? Are you intentional to look for those few relationships where you're partnering with people and you're doing life with them? Listen, what's the kingdom of God for if when I'm going through depression or anxiety, I can't go to somebody and say, man, I need prayer, and not have that brother tell me, okay, we're going to pray and fast this week, you and me, until it breaks. What's the point? What's the point of this Christian walk if I can't have a nervous breakdown in front of someone and have that person say, okay, we're going to get up. We're going to overcome together. What's the point of this Christian walk if I'm, when I go to my circle of friends, instead of being encouraged to keep my eyes holy, I'm being encouraged to look in the wrong direction. Now listen, it's time to rise in the name of Jesus Christ. to the kingdom of God and be the people that God created us to be. The time is now. The day is approaching. Anybody with me today? The day is approaching. It's now. What are we wasting our lives worried about our homes, worried about our cars, worried about our entertainment? What about the day that's approaching? Being in fellowship, committing to the fellowship, it's not just hanging out. It's fellowship with the cross. And as I fellowship with the cross and with Jesus, I fellowship with you. Another commitment that I see that we need to make according to the scripture that we just read, did you notice that signs and wonders were performed all the time? They said signs and wonders were there in Acts 2.42 on down. We need to have a heart of expectation. There's nothing sadder than coming to church and not expecting anything to happen. That's a miserable thing, right? Coming to church, it's like, this is going to be over on time so that I can eat. You know what I mean? It's like, what a sad reality to come to church and not expect God to do something or to deposit something or to heal someone or to deliver someone, right? I want you to come to church expecting for God to do something crazy. You know, I want to hear testimony. Hey, I went to the rock. It was crazy. (laughs) Yeah, I'm okay with that. Well, praise God, I prefer crazy. And then it was okay. I mean, can you imagine? 
You know, Paul is preaching, and all of a sudden, the dude falls from the window, cracks his neck, and dies. And then Paul's like, let me pray for him. He prays, gets up, and then he continues preaching. There's a time where you should have an altar call, you know? That was the moment. But, you know, I mean, I I want the glory of God to be in this place. Anybody want the glory of God in this place? Mark chapter 5 The Word of God says that Jesus, I'm not going to read it, but Jesus couldn't do much, many miracles there because he was was amazed at their lack of faith. What amazes Jesus about the rock? Does he look at the rock and say, well, I'm amazed at their lack of faith? Or does he say, I'm amazed at their hunger? I want God to be amazed at our hunger for him. We got to have a heart of expectation, a heart of expectation. Notice as we move forward, we, notice as we move forward, Acts 2.42 on down, that they were extremely generous. It wasn't a forced generosity. It was a generosity that just came out. Why? Because they knew that Jesus was coming back, and they were doing everything they could to make the right investment for the kingdom. And they gave themselves their times and their monies to make the right investment for the kingdom. And in the same way, God wants you to look at your time. He wants you to look at your resources. He wants you to look at your gifts. He wants you to look at your money, and he wants you to dream. He doesn't want the pastor to dream for you. He doesn't want the leadership to dream for you. He wants you to begin to dream over your own finances, over your own time, and begin to say, God, how do I invest this for the kingdom of God? How do I invest this for the kingdom of God? So what were those commitments as we close today? A commitment to the word of God and to prayer. A commitment to grow in the fellowship. A commitment to come with hearts of expectation, to live our lives with hearts of expectation, not only in the church, we are the church, but outside of the four walls. A commitment to be generous, to say, Lord, what do you want me to do with my time, with my life, and with my finances? Give me vision for your kingdom. And lastly, notice what happened. As they were living that way, the church was just growing. Just grew. They didn't have some strategic evangelism evangelistic conference, which I think they're necessary at times, for sure. If anything, the church in America needs to grow in evangelizing, if you ask me. You know, but uh, notice, the, the church was just growing. As God was moving, the church was just growing. I think it's time for us to make the invitation to others. And I want you to As we close today, I want you to think with me, how much of your life is lived out as an invitation to others? Did you notice how Jesus said to Peter before Peter followed him, hey, Peter, I need you to think like this. I need you to act like this. I need you to do this. Then maybe you can follow me. Is that what the Bible says? No. Jesus was hanging out with that heathen, and he said, Peter, follow me. Matthew was in his table of sin, collecting taxes and taking advantage of the people. And Jesus walked up to Matthew, probably with a smile, and said, follow me. Jesus didn't say, get your life together and come follow me. He just simply said, follow me. You know what I see is a major problem many of us have? Is that we want people to think like us before we tell them to do life with us. We want people to think like us politically. We want people to think like us doctrinally before we invite them to do life with us. 
Jesus didn't do that. Jesus had a zealot, a tax collector, fishermen, teenagers, an old dude that was religious. And he said, just follow me. And he knew that they were misfits, but he was doing life with them. It's time for us to begin to ask ourselves, how are we inviting people into this love and into this fellowship and into this kingdom? Would you stand with me today? Praise God.